Good to be with you today. I grew up in Carrollton, Georgia, but honestly, I cannot remember ever being at Cross Plains Christian Church until right now, unless that was when we had the youth rallies. Any of you remember the youth rallies? Did they used to be some here? All right, so probably I did get here, you know, on those Saturday nights, whenever that was, when all the people in the area came around. But it's good to be with you. Um, hope you, I'm sorry? Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be here and um, hope you had a Merry Christmas. Let, let me say I do understand totally that perhaps some of you had a tough time during this uh, season of Christmas. Uh, for various reasons, and let me just encourage you, if I could, and it has nothing to do with the sermon, but but just to encourage you with uh, with a word from the Psalms. I love the Psalms because I believe this is where most of the time a man is speaking his heart to God, where the rest of the Bible is most of the time God speaking to us, okay? So in the 93rd Psalm, there is this uh, person that is a person of great faith, talks about the world being established from of old, but God's throne from everlasting to everlasting. And then uh, something happens to him. I have no idea what it is. I don't have a clue. He just simply says, the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voices. And maybe that's the way you have felt during this season of the year, or maybe there are other times but if you've ever felt this way, you know what it's like to feel like the waters are just rising up and the floods are lifting their voices against you and fighting against you. But then he uh, starts to say he returns to his faith. I don't think he ever lost his faith. He just remembers and goes back now and reflects. And he says, but mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. And so whatever floods, and whatever breakers of the seas may be coming against you. I want you to remember that God's voice is mightier than those sounds, mightier than the uh, roar of just everything going chaotic around you, and that he can speak his word of peace straight through those storms right into your heart, and it's a peace that passes understanding, okay? So uh, hold on to that, whether you hold on to anything else or not, okay? It is good to be with you, and Tommy and I were reflecting. I, I've, Tommy and I have known each other, I guess, all our lives. He's telling somebody a while ago, he started to say kindergarten, and he realized we didn't have kindergarten back then. So in the first grade, and I can remember going to his house, I don't know how many times, and his dad's shoe store up on the, on the square. And we were just talking about different things and different places and how every one of us have a place to fill, and uh, and congregations are like that. Do you realize? Do you realize what this congregation right here has done for the world? I mean, do you understand that? And the first person that comes to my mind is Tony Sullivan, and uh, and the impact Tony has made, you know, throughout the country, and and even reaching out beyond that. And that we all have this. And, and just think about how Cross Plains has touched your life and the differences made in your life and perhaps your marriage or in other circumstances that are going on. Maybe try to remember, you know, uh, It's a Wonderful Life. And uh, what was his name? George, I think was the main character. I don't remember his last name right now. But he just felt like his life was useless. And can you imagine what this community, can you imagine what Carrollton would be like? 
if there had never been a Cross Plains Christian Church. You know, it wouldn't be, uh, it wouldn't be even as good <laughs> as it is right now. And sometimes it's not very good, but it would certainly not be anything like it is now if you had not been here and been faithful and following Jesus and, and sharing your faith. So maybe that leads me right into the message. What are you going to do with Jesus? We just got through Christmas, all right? We talked about that in the meditation and about the fact that, uh, you know, we ought to be grateful, we ought to be thankful. But now that Christmas is over, I, I walked in this morning and, and Tommy was teaching. I didn't realize it or I'd come on in. And uh, so I just was out there in the, in the foyer area looking at the different things and I noticed the manger was empty and I thought, what happened to Jesus, okay? And then I noticed on the other side over here, I think was the whole nativity scene that was there and maybe Jesus was still in, in the manger, you know, right then. But the question comes up, what are you gonna do with Jesus? Now that Christmas is over with, okay? And we have celebrated his birth. We have celebrated everything that has been happening. What are we gonna do with him? What really is going to take place? Back in the book of Judges, and, and I have to give credit to uh, James Stewart for this because I'd have never dreamed of, of going back to the book of Judges, uh, but he certainly makes a tie. So just let me, yeah, so I give him credit and, and for some of the handles that will hang on the thoughts today. But he goes back to the book of Judges and there's an angel that appears to a man named Manoah know who Manoah is? Well, you will in just a minute, all right? Okay, it appears to Manoah, actually appears to Manoah's wife, Manoah and his wife had not been able to have any children at all. And so they are there and she is praying and the angel appears to her and the angel tells her, you are going to have a son. He is going to be a great deliverer. He is going to beat down the Philistines that have been your you worry this warring tribe that's been against you for generation after generation after generation. And so Manoah then comes back, and Manoah is praying that the angel will come back to him. And this is the prayer that he makes over in the old book of Judges. He says, Oh Lord, teach us what we're to do with this child that is to be born. Isn't that a good question to ask at Christmas and maybe even the Sunday after Christmas? Teach us what we're to do with this child that is to be born. Now, Samson was the child that they were talking about right then, okay? But I think, too, then, you know, we need to remember that centuries later, another angel appeared and told a young lady she was going to have a baby and that he too would be a deliverer, okay, a mighty deliverer, and he would deliver, you know, and smash the Philistines on the Philistines this time would not be that tribal nation that would had been their nemesis for so long. The Philistines that this angel was talking about would be the world, the flesh, and the devil, and that Jesus would conquer that, you know. And I think we need to look this morning just for a few minutes and maybe reflect on, okay, we've, we've celebrated the birth. What are we going to do with this child that has been born, okay? How, how are we going to deal with this? What, what, what do we do now, okay? Or now do we just go back to business as usual and, and just plot along, you know, the way that we always have? What are we going to do with this child that has been born? What are we going to do with Jesus this Christmas? I think it's a good question. I know it's a good question that I had to ask myself and, and really think about for a long time. 
So let's pray and then we'll jump right into it, okay, and not waste anybody's time. Lord, I ask that today that you would uh, uh, bring your blessings upon this church. But more than that, right now, I ask that you would open our ears that we might hear what you have to say. I pray that you'll open my mouth, that I speak the truth. But, Lord, sometimes there's a, a disconnect between the ears and the mouth. And so right now, help each one of us to be able to hear what it is that you want us to hear as individuals, as a congregation, whatever, Lord. Let us be ready to open our ears and hear this word of life that you're ready to give us. You have chosen life for us. You put it out there in front of us. Now let us be willing to choose it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When we look at the uh, story of Christmas, let's uh, kind of take it as a parable, not only of what happened or not only of what actually happened with Jesus, but a parable of what's going on in our lives. What are we going to do with this child that's been born to us, okay? Now, when Jesus was born, probably there started to be a, three camps that began to be formed, okay? And they all had their ideas about Jesus. And most of the time they conflicted with each other, which is nothing new, all right? And so they, they developed these ideas, and historically, we could say these have been pretty much the same camps that have lasted century after century after century after century. The first one was represented by Herod, Herod the Great, okay? And Herod's answer, his response to this child that was going to be born was antagonism, hatred, animosity, okay, all of this stuff that was going on. And it might be good for us to remember that when Jesus comes on the scene, the pot usually gets stirred, okay? When he is born, I mean, when actually he is alive in a church or in each of our hearts, okay, the pot gets stirred, and especially when he starts entering into this conglomerate of humanity that we have out here. The pot gets stirred. Matthew reminds us in chapter 2 and the first verse, he says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem, and they asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? Okay, well, that seems like a pretty sensible question, but we're looking at it from this side of Christmas, all right, instead of from that side of it, okay? So they're saying, where's this king that has been born, you know, or where's this child that has been born the king of the Jews? We have come to worship him. Red flags for Herod, all right? you got to understand what this guy was like. This was a man who was insanely suspicious of anything and everyone uh, that even looked like they might be a threat to his throne, all right? I mean, he was willing to get rid of anybody that was opposed to him. Uh, he, he killed his wife. He killed her mother. 
He uh, assassinated three of his own sons. In fact, Augustus Caesar, the emperor of Rome, said, you're better off if, you're, if, if you are Herod's pig than you are his son, all right? And he was just, he was an insanely jealous, suspicious, power-hungry person that was here. In fact, we see his twisted nature. We can go back and we find different things in, in the historical books uh, that we have that are around us. When Just before Herod died, he moved to Jericho because that was probably the prettiest city in his province at that time, okay? So he's moving to Jericho, and that was going where, he, where he was going to spend the last, his last days. And he knew that when he died, nobody was going to be upset, Okay, nobody was going to mourn his death. So in his twisted mind, just before he left Jerusalem to go to Jericho, he had ordered that as soon as he left, there were a certain number of prominent citizens in Jerusalem, and they were listed. He had them written out. A certain number of prominent citizens in Jerusalem who were going to be arrested on trumped-up charges, okay, nothing to it, and they would be put in prison. Then, as soon as he died, they were to be executed. And in his twisted mind, he said, there'll be some tears shed when I die, okay? You see what kind of guy he was, all right? You got to understand, this man was crazy. And I mean, when these guys come and say, king of the Jews, he's thinking, well, <laughs> you know, right here, what are you talking about? And you're going to worship him. You didn't come to worship me. You didn't come to give me homage. I'm the king. You're talking about some baby. Oh, my gracious. It shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us at all then when we come to Matthew chapter 2. And look at verse 3. It says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. That's putting it lightly. He was outraged, okay? He was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Because these people had had enough of Herod to understand when Herod ain't happy, nobody's happy. If he's upset, we don't know what's going to happen, all right? And then you go back down or go a little bit further to verse 13, and we find out Herod is going to search for the child to kill him, all right? Kill him, threat, all right? Let's nip this one in the bud, all right? He's not going to come in and upset the apple cart for me. You know, I am Herod. I am the king. And so we find, again, just a few verses later, that they go to Nazareth, okay, uh, or go to Bethlehem, and all of the male children, two years and younger, are to be slaughtered, okay? This was Herod, all right? The pot was stirred because if there's another king out here, there's not too room for two kings on the throne, all right? And Herod says, I am king. I am not giving this other guy, whoever he is, whatever is going on. He is not going to get a chance to come in and start messing with my life, with my power, with my influence, with all the things that I have enjoyed. Who knows where he's going to stop if he gets a foothold in all of this. Let's get rid of this guy. Let's kill him, okay? 
let's kill him. Because like I said, he's a madman. And Jerusalem had a right to be disturbed, okay? Bethlehem, though, caught the brunt of his anger at that time. Now we go back and I can look and I say, okay, you know, here, here's Herod. And he is this guy that is just so determined to be in power that he'll do anything that he has to do to stay there, you know. And and I can sit back. In fact, I actually did. And I said, man, I'm glad I'm not like Herod. And it's almost like the Spirit of God said, are you kidding, Dale? Are you kidding? Well, I've never done anything like that, Lord. But are you kidding? Is that what you really believe? How many of you guys got caught up having to watch Hallmark movies this Christmas? All right. I enjoy them. So, you, I mean, you know how they're going to turn out, you know. About, uh, you know, an hour and a half of good stuff and then 10 minutes of looks like it's all going to fall apart and then it all comes back together, you know. But for some reason or the other, I noticed in one of the movies that we had watched, and, and then I picked it up in a few others. I started listening a little bit closer. How many times it was said, you've got to follow your heart. That's exactly what Herod was doing. And Jeremiah reminds us, man, that's the worst thing in the world you can do. Why? Because the heart is desperately wicked. Nobody can understand it, okay? Sometimes I follow my heart. Okay? I follow my heart. And things don't always go out right. At least Herod was being honest, okay? He, he knew the scriptures maybe better than we were. Even before Jesus ever spoke the words, he recognized you can't have two masters, all right? You're going to hate one and love the other. There can't be two kings on the throne. And Herod, in essence, was saying more than just being on the, the throne in Jerusalem. I'm on the throne of my heart. This is my life. And nobody is going to come in. And nobody is going to interfere with it, okay? Nobody's going to cause me to lose my influence. Nobody is going to, to, to be turned loose out there that's going to just damage everything that I have done. And we may even still try to come in and say, I've never done anything like that. I've never done anything like that. But you know, sometimes, and I'm glad to see you don't have stained glasses, or this would really be bad, all right? Or at least the type I'm thinking about. How many of us maybe have spent years keeping Jesus locked up in a stained glass window? He's safe right there. Never let him get out. Are locked up in a leather-bound book, okay? Just keep him right there, 
Just don't let him come into my life. We'll be okay, all right? If you let him loose, we're going to be button heads all over the place, all right? So just keep him locked up. And every time a word of guidance comes to me from, from the Bible, every time I silence that word, every time the Holy Spirit is working on my conscience about a direction, you know, that I need to be going, this is the way, go this way, all right? And I avoid it and go my own way. You know who I've just stepped into the company of? Herod. Herod. See, I can't love me and Jesus too. And honestly, folks, I love me a lot more than I wish I did. Okay. Maybe you've got that one whipped. But I don't. And we walk right into that trap and give Herod's answer. And we wonder why our souls have the stench of rot around them. We wonder why our skies are always dark. We wonder why our life is so complicated. We wonder why true happiness is like grabbing smoke. Well, that's what's going to happen when you reject the Lord. It's what's going to happen. Now, Herod's not the only one. Ooh, Herod's not the only one that stepped on the stage during that Christmas story. There was the innkeeper. Remember him? Boy, he's been the brunt of a lot of sermons. But, uh, you know, but there's a lot we can learn from the innkeeper. His response to Jesus, Herod's was antagonism. His response to Jesus was just simply casual indifference. All right? He's not opposed to him. Just casual indifference. Luke 2, verse 7 Part of the Christmas story says that Mary gave birth to her firstborn, a son, and she wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And we wonder, you know, that maybe that innkeeper says, you know, why, why do y'all just keep coming back at me, you know? Why, why do you do that? What was I supposed to do? Make room? How can I do that? Don't you know there's a big convention going on, a tax convention that's taking place? There is no room. In, I, I've got a stable back here. If, if you want that, then that is fine. You can have that. But I don't have time to try to deal with you. I, I've got to deal with all this other stuff that's going on in my life right now. There's just little I can do because the house is full already, okay? And i got to get back to my life. This can't be my problem, okay? Don't try to push it on me, maybe he said. Maybe he even tried to say, if I, if I knew who he was, maybe I would have done something different. I, I didn't recognize him. I mean, here is this poor pregnant girl with her carpenter husband. I'd already seen two or three other poor pregnant girls. You know, what am I supposed to do? Go and get, take the room away from them just so you can go in and get there? It's, a, I mean, it's just, 
There's just no room. Just no room. Maybe if he had a guest register from heaven that said, this is going to be Jesus, the Son of God. Maybe he would have made some room for him right then. Or maybe if God had come down, you know, and spoken in this great booming voice like being inside a rain barrel or something. This is the Lord. This is my son, you know. Would that have made a difference? I don't know. Okay. I don't know if it would have made a difference at all in his life, but here is the problem I have. It's not knowing whether that would have made a difference in the innkeeper's life. The problem is I do know who the Lord is. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But too often I'm like Felix when Felix was standing before Paul, just before he was sent to Rome, I'm like Felix who says, okay, he, when, when there's a more convenient time, he can be Lord, okay? When there's a more convenient right now, the whole place is filled, okay? My life is filled with this and 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 this. And when I can manage or when I feel like I can give up some of this, then, you know, then the Lord could come in and he can, he can have his proper place at that time. Tommy, I, I don't know what you thought of me when, when I was growing up here. But I, I want to I say this. When, when my son called, um, I guess almost five years ago now, I wanted to know if we wanted to come, come down and, and work with him. Um, you know that old saying, a prophet is without honor in his own country? I was scared to death to even think about that of how you can be so close to Jesus and yet be so so far away okay because I was thinking these folks like Tommy Wester they know who I was they know what I was like they ate with me. They went to school with me. They listened to me. They watched me. These folks know who I am. And how many of them never recognized Jesus because they never saw him in my life? Oh, I claim to be a Christian. You remember how dangerous, scary, important, whatever word you want to use, it is to be close to Jesus and yet be so far away from him? crazy man I don't know if I had that kind of an impact on you and I if I did I'm, I'm sorry but to claim to be a Christian and nobody could even see Jesus living in me Nietzsche said one time these Christians must show me they are redeemed before I will believe in their redeemer and I'm not sure anybody ever saw Dale was being redeemed Oh, he may have talked the talk, but he certainly didn't walk the walk. Did my lack of passion, I start thinking about this, did my lack of passion for Christ throw, throw water all over whatever flicker of faith someone may have had? Did they read my life and decide, well, following Jesus must not be that important, it's not that important? To him, it doesn't make that much of a difference. 
Did they see me pretending to row? And yet they watched and saw that I was not going anywhere because my anchor was still stuck in the mud of my self-centered life of sin. No room, Jesus. This is my life. No room. No room. And so Jesus gets the leftovers, if there is anything left. James Stutter Kennedy, uh, he was a chaplain during World War I. He was called the Preacher Poet. And he wrote a poem, and I think the actual title of the poem is When Jesus Came to Golgotha, or Calvary. I'm not even really sure which one. Uh, he said right there, and he talks about in the first verse that those were crude and cruel days and human life was cheap. Now, I'm going to change this one around. He talked about the next verse began with when Jesus came to Birmingham. He was in, in England, okay? And let's change it to Carrollton, all right? When Jesus came to Carrollton, they simply passed him by. They never heard a hair of him. They only let him die. For men had grown more tender. They would not give him pain. They only just passed down the street and left him in the rain. Still Jesus cried, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And still it rained the winter rain that drenched him through and through. The crowds went home and left the streets without a soul to see. And Jesus crouched against a wall and cried for Calvary. Wow. That Calvary was much less cruel than to just be ignored. But my gracious, how gracious. Mm. We ignore him. We don't hurt him. We're not against him. We just ignore him. I had a friend that was very sick and died. And I would have never dreamed of bringing Dick a bouquet of wilted flowers. But how many of us are willing to go through all of our lives living it for ourselves and then at the end offered Jesus a wilted heart? He'll be loved. Revelation 3, you can read that one a little bit later. Okay, we don't have time. He'll be loved. He'll be hated. But he will not be ignored. Okay. He will not be ignored. Now, we got one other person. We'll run through this one real quickly. Simeon. And his answer to Jesus was passionate devotion. Uh, just let me uh, refer you to Luke chapter 2, verse 25, and going on from there. But I'll just give you the recap. It, Simeon was a righteous man. He had been approached. The Holy Spirit had let him know that he would not die before he saw the Messiah, the Redeemer, the Christ, okay? And then when Mary and Joseph brought Jesus for the dedication and everything, he saw him and he recognized right then, this is the Messiah, took him into his arms, blessed him, held him. 
and said, you have prepared this salvation for all your people. Now I can die in peace because this child is a light to reveal God to the nations and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Now, we are giving Jesus a place of honor. Probably we wouldn't be here if we didn't do that, okay? But does he have the central place? Can you give me just a few more minutes? And then we'll, okay. When I was a kid, and Tommy, you may have done it too, we had our bicycles and used to put cards on there to make them sound like motorcycles, you know, where they'd hit the spoke, you know, and all that. Well, we had what we call the dirt street up next to where I lived, and there were all these kinds of big, big fields and areas and patches of bamboo and all that. And, man, you'd just run your bicycle right through all that kind of stuff, and and more than likely, you're going to lose some spokes in your wheel, all right? But what you found out was you can still ride. You can get by if you lose a few spokes, all right? You can do that. But if you lose that hub that's in the middle of the wheel, you're not going anywhere. The wheel is finally going to just collapse, all right? You know our problem? Back up. You know my problem? Okay. My problem is that things that should be spokes in my life, I have tended to make them the hub, okay? Health, happiness, family, all good things, but they're spokes, okay? You remember Jesus said, seek First, and that didn't mean just first in a list of things. It meant center, put him center. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Put God as the hub. You lose your health. Yes, it's uncomfortable. I've been there. But it didn't destroy me, okay? You lose your wealth. Some of us are close to being there, okay? Uncomfortable. But as long as God is still the hub, I can get along without some of these folks. Do you see what I'm trying to say? We give him honor, but do we give him that central part of our life that really is the only way for us to ever live? The only way for us to do that. So what are you going to do with Jesus? You say, boy, I wish I could do something right now, but you just don't know my life, Dale. Well, I know mine, okay? I know mine. You say, yeah, but my, man, if you just knew all this stuff, I don't have to know all that stuff. Back in the book of Ezra, <clears throat> they were trying to rebuild the temple. And the people had come together in the city and they didn't have all the materials for the temple. So the Bible tells us in chapter 3 of Ezra that Jeshua and Zerubbabel and the high priests built an altar, okay? Before the foundations of the temple were ever laid. You know, that gives me hope because I know I'm not temple material, all right? But you can build a temple out of anything. I mean, a, a, an altar out of anything. A pile of dirt. Broken pieces of walls, 
buildings, stack them up, you know, just get them where they'll hold something, and you can build an altar and make the sacrifice. I don't know what it is that is broken about you. And maybe you are temple material. Maybe the Lord has really done a full work on you. But I recognize there's still some brokenness about me. And I can bring that brokenness. It can be dirty. It can be broken needles or broken bottles. Broken relationships. Broken promises. Whatever. See, you can build an altar out of anything. And you can put that up and say, Lord, I may not be much, but you've got all of me. The brokenness, everything there is, I want you to be the central part of my life. And he'll say, come on in. Going to sing a song. I have decided to follow Jesus. That's where it all begins, okay? Like I say, your life may be in shambles. Great. Build an altar. They did that before they even laid the foundations of the temple. That came later. Build the altar. What are you going to do with Jesus?